0: But I've never worked with a better group of people committed to something bigger than themselves than here.
1: Hello, Titan family. Welcome back for the spring semester and season three of the Fram and Friends podcast. A new year and a new season calls for a new Titan. And in some ways, our next guest is exactly that but in many ways her Titan roots run deeper than most. Here to introduce her to the podcast is our host and president, Fram Virgie.
2: Hey everyone, welcome back to campus. It's, uh, I, I, we're all still virtual and I wish I was seeing you face to face as we say in every one of these uh, interactions, but it's good to be back in our podcast and, and talking to you and sharing with you. As Matt mentioned, today we have our new provost, Carolyn Thomas with us today. Uh, Carolyn started with us as provost on July one, July two, right around there. Um, so she's in the unique position of starting with us in the middle of a pandemic um, and starting out with us uh, as a virtual provost. But she certainly is no stranger to Cal State Fullerton. Uh, I'll let her tell that story. Um, in fact, you know, it's always, I think, best to start at the beginning uh, so, Carolyn, let's start with some background. I know that you've been in higher ed for a number of years uh, uh, and in many different capacities. Can you share with uh, our Titan family, with our Titan listeners, sort of the, the path that brought you to Cal State Fullerton and as our provost?
0: Sure. Uh, I, my passion in high school was madrigals, so vocal music. And uh, that was my aspiration when I graduated from Ribedeau High School, Riverside, was I wanted to be a choir director. I wanted to, if I could have gone back to my school and been the choir director there, that's what I would have wanted to do. And um, my choir teacher in high school was a Fullerton um, master student getting uh, conducting masters. And so I had kind of been on the journey with her when I was a senior. And so Fullerton was where I wanted to go as well. So I was just fortunate that when I came to campus and I had to do a little audition as part of going into the vocal music performance program, um, someone in the office, I don't know who it was, just said, um, maybe I had to bring a transcript or something, but she said, oh, you know, you look like a really strong student. Have you thought about applying for the President Scholars Program? I didn't know anything about. And so I applied like maybe on the last day that you could and um, the combination of getting into Cal State Fullerton and getting the scholarship and having the president of the university at that point, how fun that I'm on the call with the president of the university who's now my boss, called me on the phone when I was 17 and said, we really wanna invite you to Cal State Fullerton, any other school I was looking at, I was done with. And that's how I started on my journey. I think what brought me back here was this sense that I'd reached the point in my life where I knew what I wanted to do was help other students who maybe hadn't quite realized how much college could change their sense of themselves. So I loved the 20 years that I spent in the University of California. And I wanted to take that experience but where I discovered my passion was really undergraduate students. And come to a campus where I knew that that was going to be, you know, if I could leave a legacy, it would be helping more undergraduate students find their way to an amazing campus, have an experience with a faculty member that changed their lives, do something co curricular like I did studying abroad that would show them a power in themselves they didn't have. So I went out looking for places where that might be possible. For me and i just can't tell you the moment i saw the my husband actually found the ad for the job at fullerton for provost and i just thought i think this is how it's supposed to go and every step of my interview process and meeting people in the community and just feeling like even though i've been away for so long it really matched who i was and my values probably because fullerton helped make those values uh, that you know when a certain person on this podcast, called me up and offered me the job. I was just over the moon.
2: Well, I remember that. And I remember looking at your resume, at your CV, and seeing all the incredible things that you had done. Uh, uh, Spending a lot of time at UC Davis, uh, uh, teaching and then leading a department and then leading uh, as the Dean of Undergraduate Education. Those were all amazing things but I some of the things that really caught my eye were um, uh, that you knew two other languages before and I am not proficient in anything and that caught my eye uh, the articles that you wrote on the various uh, areas and the books that you wrote in the various areas that really attracted me about culture and community and using food as a, a part of that I found that fascinating uh, so Carolyn, you know, I will, I, I, I think most of the people that listen to this po- podcast are not academics. Uh, and so, and I will tell you, um, I didn't come up through the academy either, as you know, I was a lawyer before I got here. And I remember when I first came to the chancellor's office and had, start, had started having to deal with provosts, I actually had to whisper to somebody, what the heck is a provost? So you are our provost. I've learned what a provost is since, so don't worry too much. But if you are, uh, I guess we're not at cocktail parties these days or we're not out having drinks, but if you are uh, talking to someone in a conversation and, they, and you tell them that you're the provost at Cal State Fullerton and they say, what does that mean? What's a provost? What do you tell them?
0: I tell them that I started out, when I went to college, I thought you know, what I most want to do is I wanna stand up in front of a room of really talented singers. And I wanna help the sopranos tone it down a little and the basses bring it up and the tenors put in a little more time practicing. And as a result, everybody together is gonna make a chord, a sound in the music that's going to just vibrate. you're going to feel it, that I actually ended up doing that. And I think that's what a provost is. It's just fill in the blank instead of those being singers, right? They're really talented faculty who've decided to become administrators. So everybody I work with on my team, whether they're associate vice presidents or deans, they're all people who, because they wanted to make something better, decided at one point you know hey i'll serve on a committee and that become hey i'll be a department chair and then before they knew it they were stepping into this big role of service right but on their own their fantastic talents might just drift a little far away from the cord right those notes might not come together with something we can think of as a vision Right? or knowing how we all actually work together across different colleges to be more than the sum of our parts. So that's kind of what a provost is, it's a conductor. I'm just a conductor of a group of talented faculty running the university together instead of a, a group of singers. But it's my job to know when the, uh, the practice didn't go well, when the uh, song's not quite what it needs to be and step in and through mentorship and, kind of reframing things for people, find a way that we're all singing the right note together.
2: Well I I uh that resonates with me, no pun intended, uh, <laughs> because I love music and, and the thing I love most about music is harmony. Um and uh you know some some of the most important part times in my life that I can think of is when I've been with a group of people and you are in the middle of them singing um, and you are, it it is all around you. It doesn't just come in your ears, it comes in your whole body and you feel that absolute balance, that perfect, perfect sound uh, that uh, I think God made. uh, It's a wonderful thing. So I love the analogy, uh, but I think, I'll tell you something I haven't told you before, Carolyn. I think you're different than many provosts that I've dealt with. Uh, uh, Most provosts, when they answer the question about what a provost is, they will tell you, well, I am the chief academic officer, and so I am in charge of uh, making sure that the curriculum is rigorous, that the learning outcomes are appropriate, uh, that we have the right uh, breadth of uh, course offerings right number of seats. And you talk to me about harmony and uh, uh, singing together, which I love. But you also do something that uh, most provosts don't. And that is, you also talk about students. And so um, I love the fact that when we were talking uh, about you coming to take this job, you said, well, one of the things I would want to do is I would want to meet with students because I'm their provost. Most people, most provosts don't think of themselves as provosts for the students. They think of themselves only as provosts for the faculty. Talk about that a little bit.
0: Yeah, I've been fortunate enough to have a few meetings so far with our ASI student leaders and I've just enjoyed meeting with them so much. And I think that um, I can see how appreciative they are because I I just, for me being a provost, you know, I, I never wanted to leave the classroom I, I came to this because I had amazing faculty at Fullerton who changed my life specifically by telling me that my ideas were important and then challenging me to put them in context. That's how I think about my work with students as a provost. So when I met with ASI and they were asking me questions about, you know, well, what, why does the university work like this? or how, how, why, how has nobody addressed this issue here? what I was doing with them was saying, you know, thank you. Let me think about that. Let me take that back. But also let me explain to you a little bit about the way the structure of the university functions. Let me talk to you about how you could be a more powerful advocate for that cause. Again, right, they have a note and how can their note be heard? And I think sometimes provost, because you know, it's, it's difficult. There can be a lot of different student concerns, and of course, student concerns can swirl into student complaints. There can be kind of a sense of, well, you need to know what you're going to say to the students, and you need to kind of have a script, and you need to keep distance, but I really feel like I, I've learned, even in the early days of being an administrator, to walk towards students, and to ask them how they see the world but then to also ask them to see how I see it because there's a way that their advocacy can be powerful right as you know a lot of times I can't go back and affect the change they want to see I'm the conductor and I won't extend that metaphor too far but I can't really move over and say hey flute over there in the back corner you're gone this is a complex community where a lot of people have come to the way they see the university over time. So my job is to help students see how they can make a difference while they're here, change things that I can control, but also set them up to go out and work into systems that will be part of their ongoing lives, whether it's our political system, whether it's the system that that will employ them, to give them the tools to say, okay, this is my complaint, but how, how do I understand the system I'm in so that I can create a coalition and really affect that change. And I was really fortunate to have the Student Advisory Board when I first became uh, an administrator in my last job. And I'll never forget, you know, I, I brought in students who uh, some of them had sent notice, like emails to the president, complaining about issues. And then those were sometimes sent to me. So I started inviting students who'd been brave enough to speak, you know, into a room. And what used to be a time to have pizza with students, quickly turned into they wanted to have forums. You know, as I started explaining why the university worked the way it did and how we could affect change, they said, oh, all students need to know that. Why don't we go out and let students come in and ask the provost questions? And before we knew it, we had coffee with Carolyn and I was going to different centers to talk to them. Really because the students just taught me, you know, keep, keep doing this work as a teacher be brave enough to show up with students, even the days I have to admit, You know that's a really important point you've just made and I can't fix that. And to stay in that space with them because that's what gives them the tenacity to handle the things next that they'll need to advocate for that won't necessarily be easy to change.
2: Yeah, what you're touching on is something that I think makes Cal State Fullerton special as well. And that is, Everybody talks about how higher education is a siloed place where everybody stays in. Carolyn and I are both swimmers, so stays in our lane lines, stays in your lane where you're swimming, and you don't go out of your lane. Um, uh, and uh, that can only get you so far uh, as an institution. But if you if you take those lane lines out and you uh, and you allow people to swim freely, and if you uh, uh, Break down those silos so that people work together, then you will find that together we will do more better uh, uh, than, than we could do apart. And that's why we say at Cal State Fullerton that everyone who uh, is in our community, working in our community, is an educator. That everyone from uh, the provost to a faculty member to everyone, everybody working in student affairs, to our groundskeepers, to uh, 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 folks that are in food service, everyone on our campus is an educator. We all work in higher education. Sometimes it's our frontline workers, our our staff, who have more contact with our students and more influence over our students, even than what happens in the classroom. Mm -hmm. So I love that you blur the lines as a provost to um, uh, broaden your uh, funnel Uh, to collect information and share yourself more broadly across the campus. It's such an important way in which we try to operate.
0: It's part of what Cal State Fullerton taught me as a student. And I had this moment, I was going to be a senior, and I suppose it's kind of embarrassing to admit, but I, I really didn't have a major. I had had several majors and I'd studied abroad and I was to come back from germany and i just didn't know you know what what fits i was walking around looking for the perfect thing and i went through the course catalog you know at the time that we had them they were actually in book and i just covered up the departments and i read the description of the courses and there was this thing american studies And the title of the courses, you know, about the American character and about regionalism and about the 50s and about race. And I just thought, you know, as a first generation student, I thought that's what an education looks like. I want to know those things. You know, and part of it was living in Europe where people just knew things about other countries. And I thought, I want to study that. And I wandered into an American studies class and I was just hooked because You know, we were starting out with these big questions, right? Like, why is homelessness the kind of problem it is in American society and not in other societies of similar economic level? Why do people live in such different communities by race or ethnic background in LA still? And to answer those questions is like, well, a little sociology, a little history, a little anthropology, a little politics, I was taught here that the lane lines could be crossed as long as they were in service of answering the big questions. So that's, I will be grateful to Fullerton for that forever.
2: So speaking of Fullerton and speaking of the fact that you're a, a long time Titan and you have a long history with our campus, I know this may be a harder question for you to ask because most of your experience coming back has been virtual in this pandemic setting. But how has Cal State Fullerton changed since you were running around here as an undergraduate uh, uh, a number of years ago? How is it different? How, what what strikes you as you come home?
0: Hmm. Well, what you just said, running around here, right? As you're running around, I feel like It all worked out well for me in the end, but that's kind of how I experienced Cal State Fullerton at first was just like running around. So I don't know if I went through an orientation. I don't remember doing that. I know I never met with an academic advisor. I know I picked my major as a 17 year old. And when I found that it was a hobby, but not a life plan, I didn't know where to go next. I worked almost full time. I did a lot of meandering, and I made some choices that really worked out, but there was there's too much luck involved in that for comfort. So one thing that's changed definitely is how intentional this campus is about ensuring that every student who is coming to Cal State Fullerton understands what college can give them and has these opportunities for small classes, for advising, to ask the questions about, you know what do they wanna do next? There's an intentionality behind the way that we really scaffold our undergraduate students that is just so great to see because I, I went to Fullerton with other people I knew too, some who didn't graduate, some who didn't find a field that was really the right one for them. And I think we do so much better by our students rather than expecting them to figure it out this institution really supports them to find that best self.
2: Yeah it's a really really interesting point because uh, I don't think that our students, and I wouldn't expect them to recognize the special way in which we provide service and are of service to them in comparison to other higher education institutions. It takes someone who like me who uh, went to, I didn't go to a Cal State, uh, or someone like you who went and worked outside of the system to look at the way in which other systems or universities are structured, larger classes, greater emphasis on faculty research, less emphasis on helping students with Um, academic counseling and finding their way and choices, less intentional or intrusive, whichever way you wanna look at it, counseling and help for our students. And what I think I would love for our students to see and feel and not take for granted, honestly, is how special the CSU is, but the Cal State Fullerton even within the CSU is with working so hard as we do to provide those intentional touch points, those high impact practices, um, the small classes, the mentorship of professors, the dedication. The, uh, if there's anything that strikes me more than anything else, it is the incredible dedication of our faculty and staff to student success.
0: That is so true. That's one of the things that mystifies me about you know how what it is to be in California, how it oftentimes parents and students think about this when they're looking at college. It's, it is very hard for people to realize that the what I would call the brand awareness of the UC system, right? That that is in fact what it is. It is a brand awareness. And there are many wonderful things about that system. If you, though, are a student who's first generation or you're coming to college and you don't really know what you want out of it, and you aren't, it's not a good idea for you to go and kind of get lost on your own. This is the system and this is the campus to go to because we are the campus that has the small classes for undergraduate students right in the beginning. And this is the campus that's intentional about the advising. This campus is here for those students it's been hard for me to watch as the uc system works harder and harder for very good reasons to diversify its undergraduate student body right i understand why they want to do that but at the same time that's a system of large 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 undergraduate classes and where research is prioritized for faculty promotion far more than teaching there's a vulnerability that that is there for students in that System that is not in ours. Ours is, in fact, perfectly fitted for those students. And during my time at Fullerton, I really want to make sure we can get that story out more strongly and very specific to the kinds of learning that our students can do, the kinds of transformative education that they can have. Because, you know, I, I have every bit of confidence that a student, first generation student, coming to try to figure out what college is is going to be so much better off on our campus than in one of the larger, but perhaps you know, more brand valued competitors.
1: I think the way you put it, um, describing your early journey at Cal State Fullerton as opposed to now is so beautiful because it sounds like when you were here as a student, the onus was on you to adapt to the institution. And today when you come back, the institution is now putting the onus on, on themselves to adapt to the students.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, to the point where earlier today, I was part of what I was doing was working with a small team. We noticed that we have students who haven't registered yet for this semester. We've broken down exactly who those students are by background. We have teams that are reaching out to those students to make sure that they're okay. I mean, of course we've sent all kinds of messages and prompts already, but that customized attention to making sure that students don't fall through the cracks Right, that's just a hallmark of Cal State Fullerton.
2: So let me sw- switch gears just a little bit um, uh, and ask you a, a question in another, uh, a completely different setting. Uh, during, the me- during the pandemic, uh, like many others, I've been thinking a lot and taking a lot of time for um, rep- introspection. And I've had a couple of milestones in my life with age and passing of a parent and that sort of thing, that one of the things I've been thinking about uh, are the people in my life who have been so significant in influencing my life. So I'm going to ask you, Carolyn, as you look back on your life, who are the people who were the most influential in your life and why? That's
0: such a fun and luxurious question. Thank you. Uh, I would say Stacey DeLaRocco, who was my choir teacher in high school. Uh, the kind of high school I went to wasn't one where everyone went to college. It was a place where students could get lost. And she created something beautiful. Uh, a lot of students that I think were underestimated most of the time. And in this magical group she had in her choir room, good was not good enough. She was the first person who'd ever held me to a a standard that really pushed. And she pushed everyone. Didn't matter what your background was. Didn't matter how much musical training you had. She believed that everybody could excel. And that was really powerful. Uh, At Fullerton, it was Karen Lystra. Who was one of my professors in American studies. And um, I think that was my first experience seeing someone passionate, so passionate about knowledge, you know, understanding how American culture worked. That she would actually believe she could understand it. She she had theories about it. We read books about it. She could go on at length about it. I remember her once teaching about Robert. Robert Bly and the men's movement, early years of the men's movement, and just going on about gender and masculinity. And she was the person who made me realize that the way we are and the values that we have at this moment are inherited. They're not natural. They're not always gonna be how it, how it is. And that if I also could study those and learn about them and unpack them, I could give people options to do something different. That was incredible that if I could do that with my life, that's what I wanna do. And the third one is Walter Robinson. Walter was our director of admissions at UC Davis. Uh, he's since passed away. And uh, one time I took a long ride up to Tahoe with Walter very early in my job when I was first an administrator for our undergraduate students. And on the way up to Tahoe and the way back to Tahoe from Tahoe, somehow he managed to explain to me without ever actually telling me that if anyone was ever going to help faculty figure out that the students we brought into the university, while many of them from lower income areas, from high schools that were under-resourced, who lacked some of the proficiencies in math or writing, if anyone was ever going to help the faculty understand that They needed to stop judging those students based on their abilities, their current abilities, and instead judge them by their capacity. And that it wasn't like my job was to wait for that to happen. He was bringing the students, he was admitting the students and he also subtly let me know that I could help faculty understand that they because of how brilliant they are. They could simply change their teaching strategies. They could use equitable techniques in the classroom. They could move away from high stakes tests to lower stakes assessments that we actually could create the first equitable learning experience some of these students had ever had thanks to the way K through 12 education, right? is property tax-based resourced in the state of California that that could be the change the university needed and I came back from Tahoe that day and just thought, hmm, I guess I have to get to work. And I think I've been doing that work since.
2: So I love that you look in the rearview mirror and you can see the shining lights that your life and, and articulate in such a beautiful way how they did that. Um, and it's usually something that I ask people to do on the podcast. One of the things, one of my favorite uh, uh, moments on a podcast that we've had so far was uh, with one of my uh, guests who, when I asked him a question about his value system and that sort of thing, he he told me that he had a mission statement for himself and for his family, Uh, and I was so taken with that idea. Uh, Maybe I'm Uh, you know, I've been hiding under a rock, but I don't know too many families that actually have a mission statement. And it was a beautiful mission statement. I can't even remember what it was right now. And that's probably probably should have memorized it on the spot. So I found that fascinating. So uh, Carolyn, if you had a mission statement for you and your family, or maybe you do, I don't know, um, what would it be? Or what is it? What's your mission statement?
0: We have been now for almost two years, um, my husband and I foster parents, and um, we also have older uh, teenagers, actually once 20 now. And I think my mission statement would be you don't know the moment when being present with someone who doesn't believe they can Will be all it takes for them to think otherwise. It's not a dramatic how to parenting book. It's not something you necessarily researched. It's a kind of quiet commitment to just be present with people on their way to that moment when they realize for themselves, you know, it's a tiny move often that is the thing that helps someone understand their capacity or have confidence that they didn't have before. I used to think as a parent that that was something I had to tell my children. I think I spent a lot of time as a mom with my first round of kids telling them, but having our foster son, um, you know, who for various reasons, it's simply not fair to tell him all of the things that he needs to know or the ways he can relate to people that he missed out on learning earlier. It helps me see that it's much more the guide on the side than the sage on the stage, which is so funny because we know that in teaching, but the ability to sit with someone who's struggling and simply recognize their struggle and value them in it until the day they look up and they say, "Huh." wasn't so hard after all, was it?" And you say, that's right. That's how smart you are. It's a really long mission statement, but it's surprising to me um, how much watching there is actually in helping someone transform and how little telling.
2: So, how applicable uh, that is. Not just to our families and to our homes, but to the classroom, and how we can engage our students in a uh, embracing, inclusive, cross cultural way that um, lets them know that they can, or lets them give give gives them the space to be, and allows them to do and realize their potential. Because you can tell these students and we do. We are like we like we as parents tell our kids cuz I did the same thing with mine. You can do it. You're smart, you're great. You're and this is how, let me tell you. I've done it. I know how. Dad knows best. <laughs> Boy, is that the worst. Um we do the same thing with our students. We tell them this is the path. This is how you do it. This let me let me give you the recipe. Let me give you this the sauce, the secret sauce. This is takes this step, then that step. And we all know in reality, because we all were in college, that the, the best way to do that is to discover it yourself and discover for yourself that you're not a poser, that um, this isn't pretend, and, and uh, you actually do have the skills that you need to, to thrive. So that's so beautiful, because that, that means your mission statement at home is your same mission statement that's in, in your work life as well. That's a pretty cool thing.
0: This conversation makes me realize, too, that in this also is the way I want to try to communicate to our faculty, you know, who many of them have so much to teach me, but it is very true that we often especially because you know, your first years of teaching, you're really vulnerable. Graduate school is all about taking you apart. And then writing scholarship, you have to go through so many layers of critique. There are so many factors that make you feel that you protect yourself by becoming the expert. And that in fact, when you're teaching our students, what you have to do is be such an expert that you can sit back and lay the breadcrumbs out for them to develop their expertise, right? And watch and wait and appreciate them for having learned it themselves. I had a class, I was so fortunate, uh, my student Aira, I'll never forget, she's in her very first year of college, first generation student, you know, she, she came into a class I was teaching and I had a whole syllabus, I had a whole plan. And then the first day we were talking, I was, t- I was telling them, you know, well, we're going to do this unit and we're going to be talking about social science and we're going to do this unit, we're going to talk about humanities. And she just so bravely, you know, said, I don't, what is social science? I thought, oh, okay, so how about instead We're gonna divide up a whole bunch of different majors and you're gonna go out and you're gonna look at a couple books and then you're gonna come back and talk to each other about what might be a social science and a humanity. What's the difference? Are there differences? You know, It's just those moments where you realize like, I could tell you this, but I could also step back and give you the space to tell me Right. And I am embarrassed to say that that was probably my 12th or 13th year of teaching. I was much more the professor who went in with, you know, all the notes and all the plans and everything totally buttoned up, predicted every question a student would ask me. There's so much flexibility in the margins where learning actually takes place. And if we really allowed our institution to embrace that, especially in the age of Google, when a student can learn a fact faster than you can teach it to them anyway, on their phone, right? we'd set ourselves free.
2: Wonderful. So we're talking about what makes a great professor, what makes a great teacher, what makes a great guide. What makes, in your eyes, as a as an administrator, as a leader at Cal State Fullerton, what uh, what is leadership all about? What what uh, what do you view as the key and most important attributes of a good leader? And and also, how do you? What are what are some faults of a bad one? Mm.
0: I think leadership requires you to put yourself together and take yourself apart, if not every day, at least once a week, or maybe once a month. Because when I first approached leadership, I was often really resistant to title or recognizing that I was the leader, right? So I'd come into the room and people would say, you know, VP or whatever. And I'd say, oh, no, you know, I'm just, Carolyn, I'm just here with you and then at a certain moment i realized oh actually it, it is important that i come into the room representing the leadership of the role i occupy right like part of an institution of higher education is believing that at each step at each place things have been you know validated you get to be a professor because somebody has given you a doctorate and somebody's said you should get the job over all these people. The, the in, institutions of higher education really award uh, that kind of validation to others. So you can't come into the room and break everything down all the time and say it's just lateral, we're all here together. But then as a leader, you have to come in and on the one hand, you know, have a vision for what should happen, have an idea you can share, and then be willing to step back from it, challenge it, be the first person to question yourself. Call on the person in the room who's not t- talking like you would in a class and say, I don't want to put you on the spot, but just in case there's something you see that I'm missing. Yeah, I, I find it this kind of push-pull of, of you know, having confidence that, you know, I, okay, I am the provost. I, as a first-generation college student who barely felt confident going to Cal State Fullerton in the first place, I'm the provost, but it's a, it's a decision that I will not, I will not make everyone doubt that every day. <laughs> I, I will give everyone else the ability to focus on their jobs by seeming confident, but then also admitting that there's so much I don't know. Right? And I think also good leaders are really good readers of a room. And the Zoom environment's been so interesting, right? Because on the one hand, it's very isolating, but on the other, it's very intimate, right? Because I can watch Matt or I can watch you right now in ways that you know are very close up. But it's using that kind of intimate connection with people to be able to ultimately call out the right idea and to help something appear in a room that might not otherwise, which I think at the end of the day it is about group process and it's not really about me, but it requires me to show up as provost but still kind of make space in the room.
2: So this is a uh... 24/7 24 seven job, we, we, we live and we breathe this job. Um, and it's hard to separate our, um, you know, our, the, it, there is no such, such thing as work-life balance as far as I'm concerned at these kinds of jobs like yours and mine, because our work is our life so many ways. But one of the things that I do to separate that out is something you do too. And that is, we are crazy enough to get up at the crack of dawn in the dark and go down to the pool and get on and get in the pool with the coach who screams at us and tells us what how many laps we're gonna swim and how fast we're gonna swim it and what stroke you're gonna do and what you're gonna do next. And we are completely compliant and do everything that he tells us to do. Uh, and then we come back the next time, and we ask for more. So, what is it that gets you gets your butt out of bed and in the middle of the dark and into the cold and into that pool to swim a couple of thousands a year uh, yards every day, or I guess three days a week, to um, uh, with a, with a, 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 a group of other crazies.
0: I feel like this is probably a good moment to confess that I had no idea what I was getting into. So when you said there was a pool and if you, if, you know, if if you wanted to swim, there was pool and you just had to go join this group. I thought, well, I could go join a group. And then the first two or three times that I went and the workouts were so demanding. I thought, I don't know. I... I feel like a failure. I'm not anywhere near as fast as everybody else. Um, but the funny thing was, like by week three, I thought it was great that I was always slower than Heather, <laughs> or you know that like Jason would show up and like always say, you know, Hump Day on Wednesday. Like, okay, so one thing is, I'm an only child, and it's a group, and it's really fun being in a group. And it's fun being in a group where we're not having deep conversations and we're not just what we're doing is um, having a physical experience, you know, and when you're swimming underwater and you can see other people, you can see where they're at, you can kind of get the sense of like being part of a chain of something that's much bigger than yourself. So I, I love that part of it. And I also really like having coach. Um, I'm not someone who did a lot of team sports. I played tennis. That was my varsity sport. So, you know, tennis, you're just kind of on your own. But this is like the coach is telling us all what we have to do. And we're doing it in order to get stronger. He has a plan. Right. And it all comes together the day you have to swim 100 and get timed against everybody else. So I also really like that. I love that somebody knows enough about this thing I'm a novice at, has a plan for us all. And I don't have to do anything except glide along and follow it. And also, come on, it's the best workout.
2: It Let's just be
0: honest. It's the best workout, right? I've done weightlifting and running and cycling and a bunch of things. This is the best workout, join Master Swimming. That's amazing but not here in fullerton because there's not enough room already for me to find elaine when i show up almost late so not here somewhere else
1: the other thing you both have in common is as far as um being being in tune with the world is dogs and and hoss has visited this podcast and now i see <laughs> Carolyn's dog has visited the podcast yeah, absolutely.
0: tully tully is over here yeah he's decided it's like it's dinner time
1: if you listen, <laughs> if you listen to fram cnn interview carefully you can hear Hoff shaking in the background. <laughs> he's on CNN. <laughs> That's true. Well, he's just, that
0: big. His shake makes my, that I put, sound.
2: I put myself on mute a few minutes ago because he was whining. I said, okay, come over here so I can pet you and stop whining. <laughs> the other thing about the pool is it's a great place to work out things in your head while you're swimming. I mean, for me, it's when I was a practicing lawyer, it was when I worked out my cross-examinations or my did my openings in my head or looked for the... Uh, chinks in the other side's case, and thought about pieces of evidence and all those things. And now I, you know, think about not just my day but the future at Cal State Fullerton and where we're going to go and how we might get there. And, uh, you know, you can let your mind go free, it's sort of zen. The swimmers talk a lot about how the best friend they have is the black line on the bottom of the pool because that's who they talk to the whole time. So, yeah. <laughs> We're, we're, we're getting close to um, a time, but I wanna ask a couple of other pieces um, and I wanna maybe get you to reveal a little bit more about Carolyn. Uh, uh, you know, close your eyes and if you weren't provost, what do you think might be the most fun job in the world?
0: I think being a psychologist or therapist would be the most fun job in the world because you get to have these little vignettes of other people's lives. I love stories. I love stories, but now I'll reveal something about myself. I have a hard time managing too many actual individual relationships. There's not that many people I know really well because I wanna do it well and I've tried extending myself farther, it doesn't work. But I think if you're a psychologist, then you have these moments where you ask questions and people give you answers. And because you're professional, you know how to leave them in a better place, right? It's like, you can give a gift back. I would love to have that training so that I felt felt like I could do that because I so wanna ask people questions that are not appropriate when I don't know them very well, you know? (laughs) I just do. I love knowing people's stories, but you know, in real life, that requires a depth of friendship, and you can only know so many people. So that that would definitely be what I do.
2: Okay. Uh, can you name uh, your two or three favorite books?
0: Um. It, well, when I get this question, which of course is hardly ever, but I there's usually a book I've just read. You know, that's on my mind. So I, I just read Susan Orlean's The Library, which just phenomenal. It reminds me of a book I love, which was my favorite book as an undergraduate, which was called Young Men and Fire. And that book is about a fire that took place and an author just diving so deep to try to understand why. Why did that fire happen? And the library is also about that. It's about a fire in the LA Central Library that occurred. But it goes out and in the history of libraries, how arson works, why, how books are made. You know all of the pieces. Who works in libraries? You know famous things about libraries. It's incredible. And the other one would probably be um, the warmth of other suns, Isabella Wilkerson. It's a, in that book, which I think you've also read. I really want to read her her book on cast. It's just once you read that book, the beautiful, painful stories of the Black experience of leaving the South and, and heading to cities where there were opportunities at different periods of time. You, you understand the racial geography of the U.S., but you also understand how painful that geography is, right, and, and what it meant to have a choice, which was often a choice against no choice um, to leave. So that's also a book that I love.
2: So as we, as we, this has been great fun. So um, we always have to, when we spend time talking to each other, we always have an agenda and things we have to cover and problems we have to solve and issues that we have to talk about. So this is fun just to shoot the bull, um, And I don't mean that in a cavalier way. This is important stuff. This is really important stuff. So with that in mind, as we close out, um, what what what's your vision for Cal State Fullerton for the next several years? How might our listeners help you and help us in that vision?
0: Hmm. I would love to get more of our alum back to campus. You know, the way that I came back, I, I found it was too easy to graduate and go away and sort of just forget forget how many people paid it forward to me and how good it feels to pay it forward back here. And our alums are everywhere. They're so interesting, you know, and our students are craving that kind of connection and mentorship. And, you know, how does an English degree lead me to, you know, broadcasting or how, how can I get to where you are? And I know our alums are out there and they want that. I just think, you know, I just haven't gotten them to, to find our students and make that match. So that's definitely one of the things I wanna do. And the other thing I just wanna do is tell our story, just tell our story. I mean, it's great to be in a system of 23 campuses but it's also tough to be in a system of 23 campuses. We're really special. We really are. I've met people at the other campuses. Now I know those Provost lovely people, not us, not us. So I wanna leave with more of a sense you know, maybe it's not the one Cal State Fullerton story, maybe it's 15 of them. And they're really based on the different pathways that students can take through our institution, right? And how beautiful those are. Sometimes they're quite accidental. I wanna make them less accidental. I wanna show students and their parents that if they come here, they can walk that pathway too, or there's so much support here, they're gonna find a different pathway. Uh, that's better but i just don't feel like people really know who we are and that's such a good opportunity right because who we are is just incredible i mean you didn't really ask me that question i suppose but i i've never worked with a better group of people committed to something bigger than themselves than here
2: i love it that's that's a perfect perfect place to both stop and start from that perspective, you know, for those of you who are listening to this at a later time, this is the day after the inauguration, um, a day of renewal, a day of uh, uh, looking forward, a day of uh, uh, questioning what opportunity, what comes next. Um, And that's what we do at Cal State Fullerton every day is we unite to make the future better. And it is limitless. It is really limitless. You know, uh, nothing is by accident. You're so right, but it's intentionally spontaneous. (laughs) It's intentionally spontaneous. And uh, so Carolyn, thanks so very much for joining us, for uh, giving a chance for our Titan community to get to to know you a little bit more. Welcome home. We're so glad you're here. Uh, And uh, we look forward to uh, great times together uh, as we move forward. So much appreciated.
0: Thank you both. Thanks for having me on the show. It was really fun. Thank you for listening to Fram and Friends, a collaboration between Titan Radio and Cal State Fullerton. For more episodes like the one you just heard, visit titanradio.org.